Greetings, listeners, Domestic International, and in this episode, Extraterrestrial, finally. Cults. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm a member of the Red Museum. Church of the Red Museum. I'm sorry, the Church of the Red Museum, Kristen Riley. And this is the Church of the Red Museum's new podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, brothers and sisters. Put down that meat! This is the cast files. I am not a cult member. I am a nerd who has you... somehow never seen the X Files. That's right, and you've already eaten meat today. I have. You have desecrated the sanctity of this space. But not beef. No, that's true. Not yeah. beef. So I think it counts. Chicken is pretty much a vegetable. No, <laughs> no. And I watched it when it originally aired. <laughs> The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free. Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 10, Red Museum. It originally aired December 9th, 1994. Ooh. Is this their Christmas episode? Probably not. There's like a couple more weeks to Christmas. Unless they went on hiatus right after. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't look. It was written by the man himself... Chris W. Carter. Is his middle initial I have no W? Idea. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny to say, and nothing came out. And directed by Wynn Phelps. Oh. I believe it's the first time I've heard that name. Yeah, that doesn't sound familiar. Well, we have two different descriptions. Makes sense, because this is two different episodes. It is. Jammed into one. I'm going to read you description A and description B, and I want you to tell me which one you like best for this. Okay. So description A, cattle ranchers in a remote Wisconsin town suspect a religious cult is to blame when local teenagers are drugged and abducted. Makes sense. I think that fits. And B, A vegan religious cult is accused of kidnapping local teenagers for some type of ritual. Mulder and Scully begin to suspect that a different kind of conspiracy is at play when Scully sees Deep Throat's killer in town. It also fits, but I think it gives away the cool twist. I think so. So if you liked A better, that was Hulu. Yeah, I think I liked A better. Hmm. This episode... The original draft of Red Museum was supposed to function as a crossover episode between CBS's show Picket Fences and The X-Files. The idea came about when David E. Kelly, the creator of Picket Fences, and Chris Carter, the creator of The X-Files, were talking in a parking lot about how interesting it would be to have Mulder and Scully visit Rome. (laughs) Weird. Right? Also weird, because Hulu was suggesting picket fences to me last night. Oh. Or Saturday night. Oh, weird. Friday night. Just keep going. Eventually, it'll, <sighs> you'll say all the days, and one of them will be correct. <laughs> so, our cast includes Paul Sand as Gerd Thomas. Dollar Tree, Joe Namath. You said that. I still don't know what Joe Namath looks like. A uh, handsomer version of that guy. <laughs> it's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> Paul Sand is an actor and director of Erie, Indiana. Ah, interesting. Did you watch that since it's an Indiana thing? No, I did not. It had 12 episodes or something like that. Because I remember mentioning it in season one. Yeah, I do too. I remember it's not the first time it's come up. Steve Easton is Sheriff Mazeroski, whose name I will pronounce differently at least four times, I am sure. Excellent. I apologize. He is an actor and director for Con Air. Oh. Ever heard of it? I have. B 
Field put, of Dreams. Put down the bunny. <laughs> Field of Dreams. If you build it, put down the bunny. <laughs> and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, colon, Freddy's Revenge. Jesse, don't turn into Freddy and put down the bunny. <laughs> That's right. That's the most famous line from that episode. Yeah. That episode of movie. <laughs> that episode of Freddy. <laughs> Mark Rolston is Richard Odin, and I forgot to look him up. Aliens. Oh, that's right. And uh, uh, crap, oh, other stuff. Something else you said. Other stuff that I've seen. And then Lindsay Ginter as the crew cut man. Oh, they're just calling him the crew cut man. He's Lindsay Ginter. That's, I recognized the name when I saw it in the credits, and then it took me forever to figure out who he was when we, when we saw him. I was just like, I know who this guy is. Who is he? Yep. How did you like this episode? You know what? I was bored out of my mind until halfway through when it became a completely different episode. <laughs> it really got interesting halfway through. Yeah. I was on board the second half. And if I ever watch this episode again, I'm going to like it because of that. I think so, yeah. Because that it just went a completely different direction that I did not see coming. I'm, I was glad of it. Um, I have another line from the Retrospective and Entertainment Weekly. They gave Red Museum a B. Remember last week Uh when they gave it a D minus? I do. Noting that the episode was creative if convoluted. (laughs) I don't... Okay. I know. Convoluted seems... No, it was just... It was a huge swerve in the middle of it. Yeah. I. That I enjoyed. I called it uh, the From Dusk Till Dawn of the X-Files universe. Ah, ooh. And then uh, one last thing that I thought was a, had a pretty good burn in it, so I will say this part. Critical Myths' John Keegan gave the episode 5 out of 10, criticizing the complexity of the plot, which, again... Not really. Maybe if this is the only episode of X-Files you've ever seen. Maybe. Then maybe? That, then, yes, because there <laughs> is some backstory that you need to know. Right. But yeah. knowing the backstory, no, when it takes that swerve, it's like, oh, snap! Yeah. He wrote that, quote, fairly quickly, the X-Files gained a reputation for episodes that were so convoluted and confusing that few people could make sense of them. This episode stands as one of the shining examples of that trend, and it's only appropriate that the episode was written by Chris Carter. Eh, whoever this guy is <laughs> can take a long walk off of a long pier. Okay. It's still going off the end. He just has a long way to go. <laughs> you just want to make it it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> I want his feet to hurt when he goes into the water. <laughs> um, yes, I don't agree with him on that statement, but I was like, oh, someone's just straight up criticizing Chris Carter's writing. <laughs> <laughs> right? All right, so we start out at JASD Beef in Delta Glen, Wisconsin. We see cattle file into their pen as workers cross-cut and package meat in a plant. Two horns go off, and a man starts walking out. And this, I can't, I couldn't watch all of this. This is, this is basically my nightmare situation. Yeah, I was just wondering how many fingers get cut off there. And later we find out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it, was, it was bad. But this is where we meet Beth Kane. She is a worker at the facility, and... When the two horns go off, that means the day is over, and they leave. And my goodness, that place was so gross. If you say so. Oh, all of the little chunks of beef pieces in the machines. It was it was a lot for me. So next we go to Beth Kane's house. 
Beth's son's Gary is laying on the couch watching a TV show. Uh, her younger son is on the floor watching the TV, and it looks like a cops-type TV show. Or the news. It looked like they were watching the news, because you know how kids do. Yeah. I thought it was cops, because they were definitely showing some people being arrested. For being in a crack house. Yes, and walking out. They walked one of the women out in her underwear. Yeah, but there was a Chiron, so I think it was the news. Oh. I think that was the early hint that this town ain't what it used to be. Oh, <laughs> Oh, because of the crack house? Yeah. Uh, she says hi to the boys and seems like a pretty cool mom. She instructs them to order pizza if, if they want pizza. Make the call. No pepperoni. While she showers. While she's showering, someone calls and her oldest boy, Gary, answers the phone. He says he'll be back in five minutes to his little brother. But because this is basically the opening section, uh, we know he's not coming back. Yeah. You did skip over a part where she's being peeped on while she's taking her clothes off. Oh, I did, because that's so awful. The first time around, it was weird. Well, I guess I only watched it once. But it was weird at the beginning because you expect that to be a medicine cabinet. Right. But it's not. It's just a mirror attached to the wall. Yeah. It turns out. So I my notes at the beginning are, how is she not noticing this when she opens the, the medicine cabinet? But it's not a medicine cabinet, and that's how. And why does she have just a mirror tacked to her wall right there above the sink and not a medicine cabinet? I've seen just mirrors before. Really? Yeah. Huh. Strange. We have a just mirror. Yeah, but we have a gigantic just mirror across two sinks and then medicine cabinets on the side. That's true. Because you guys needed to know our (laughs) Our bathroom (laughs) situation. But yeah, I've, I have seen that, and it has been weird, especially if it's not flush with the wall. You're like, why is this not a medicine cabinet? Yeah. I need to see where you keep your medicines. Right. I'm snooping. Yeah, right. I don't want to snoop. I don't want to take anything. I just want to look at it with my eyeballs. Yeah, not not a snoop and scoop. Just, right. Just a snoop. <laughs> it's like not breaking and entering, just entering. Right. Totally different. You're right. I skipped that part because it was creepy and I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> but it does come back up, so I'm glad that you you said something. So we see a little bit later, it's about four hours later, she says she's calling the police about her missing son. She and her youngest are scared for him because he hasn't come back. Then in the morning, we're still in Delta Glen, Gary runs through the forest in his underwear. He's whimpering and definitely out of it. Scratched up. He is. Something obviously is wrong. Two sheriffs or two people, two cop people, are driving down the road and they see him when he's out in the street. They get out and are talking to him, but he doesn't seem to recognize them. It does look like one of the cops recognizes him. And Gary is oblivious. He is somewhere else. And he turns around and on his back is written, he is one. And the cop is like, oh my god. And it was very... Obviously, this is tragic and traumatic for Gary, so I don't want to take that away from this fictional character. But the cop's reaction to the guy being written on in marker... Is so much bigger than their reaction to him running around in in his underwear. Right. Obviously out of it. it, His reaction was one that if the kid had been branded he is one, I would have been like, yeah. But it's marker. That's the least of the kid's problems. So next we are at the X-Files office in Washington, D.C. Mulder shows Scully a slide of Gary's back with the words clearly written on it. 
It is the most posed picture. Did you notice? He's like cocked sideways a little bit and he's got a blanket draped just below the... Oh, no. It was the weirdest situation. The other photos, because we do find out that there have been other victims, look like they're taken at the crime scene where they're like, hold on, let me just get a picture of the back. There are males and females that have been victims before and it turns out that the victims have had to be sedated because they've become hysterical which is scary yeah they've all become hysterical which we never see any of the kids in this episode become so it doesn't come back those first few are just really weak-willed oh gosh the local sheriff in delta glen thinks that they have been possessed (laughs) yeah that's pretty wild so that's how they're on the X-Files, because... Yeah, they've, per- they've possessed. <laughs> because some backcountry cop has decided they're possessed, and Mulder's like, that's Let's enough, go. that's all I need. So Mulder, Scully, and Sheriff Mazarowski are in Delta Glen. Uh, they're driving down the road in the sheriff's car. The sheriff is telling them about the Church of the Red Museum, which is interesting because I don't know how this ties into the them being possessed situation well because he thinks that they're a cult and that they're doing culty weird freaky supernatural stuff right and the reason that they hate them is because they're vegans yeah and wear turbans yeah well it's the cultural appropriation he hates it it, that was cringy (laughs) if if it weren't for that they this town would have no problem with them such so white in that church (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So he's telling, the sheriff's telling Mulder and Scully about the Church of the Red Museum. They are followers of a guy named Odin that moved out here from California, because of course California. They couldn't have come from literally anywhere but California. (laughs) California is where all the freaky people are. They came three years ago and bought a ranch. All right. That seems like good for the economy. We bought a ranch. This is how the sheriff talks about it. Well, Odin and the rest of them are a bunch of vegetarians. They drove the ranch right into the ground, turned 500 head of beef cattle into pets, calls it a monument to barbarism. And Mulder says, for the audience, he is the audience surrogate here, he says, probably went over big with the local ranchers. And the sheriff says, well, you gotta admit, it takes some big ones to sit down in the middle of cow country and start a church like this. So they hate them because they're vegetarians, even though they did exactly what they wanted to do with the cattle that they purchased. Yeah, well, if they're pets, that means they can't go to Clay's Barbecue. That's true. Ugh, Clay's Barbecue is my second least favorite place in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I know you would, but as in when we get there, I was just like, I can't eat anything here. <laughs> no, you could not. I don't think I could eat anything in this in Delta Glen. <laughs> well, no, you could go hang out with the Church of the Red Museum. I will. They are my people. They probably have a lot of food you can eat. That would be phenomenal. Oh, it would be great. Now I'm getting all Midsommar vibes. Oh, goody. Except in Wisconsin. There's a lot of Dutch, Polish, a lot of Polish in Wisconsin. Why? Just where all the Polish immigrants went. Hmm. Okay. I don't know anything about Wisconsin, so that wasn't why, like, why why do you dare? Or that's that's why it's Mazarowski. Ah. Okay. Probably a lot of Pulaski's. Probably, yeah. Okay. Mazarowski's, Magikowski's. 
Magikowskis. Yeah, that's a name. It just sounds like you were saying magic and then making it Owski. <laughs> um, Alienowski. <laughs> yes, that's what it sounded like you were doing. All right, so we go visit the Church of the Red Museum. The three of them pull up to the church as three worshippers walk by and towards a barn. They are dressed in white gowns. Robes? Robes, gowns, yeah. And a red turban. Mulder Scully and Mazarowski, I don't remember how I was pronouncing his name before, get out of the car and watch them. Mulder takes out an umbrella and holds it over his and Scully's head. Yes, and after your uh, fun fact last week of... Duchovny being miserable in the rain, I paid attention, and he is so miserable in the scene. <laughs> His face is just so sullen. He's just like, oh, I hate it here. They go inside the barn, and um, you see pews set up, and there's a stage. There's a woman on the stage in the center stage speaking, and there's a man off to her right piping on a word processor that is projected on the screen behind her with his eyes closed. Yeah, super weird. What's the point of the computer? He talks later in the episode. I don't know. It seems like he is focusing on getting... I was thinking he's receiving the message and typing it up and she's reading what the message is to the rest of them. But can't you channel your god and just speak what the god is saying? No, because people are terrible at multitasking. He would miss something. I think speaking is easier than typing. Not for him. Okay. He can do it with his eyes closed. Uh, how many words per minute you think he does? Not very many. It didn't seem it didn't seem crazy fast, but it didn't seem slow either. I don't know. Yeah. I actually have no idea how to tell. You count how many words they type in a minute? Didn't say I didn't know how to calculate, but I don't know how to just listen or watch and <laughs> tell. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> so Mulder and Scully and the sheriff are in the back watching all of this. And Mulder mentions that they are walk-ins. They're believers in soul transference, enlightened spirits who have taken possession of other people's bodies. That doesn't seem very enlightened. It doesn't. What what happens to that person's soul? It just gets shoved out in the ether? You just have two people in there chattering? That seems noisy. Yeah, that doesn't seem... These enlightened people seem like real dicks. (laughs) And I don't think you can be an enlightened dick. I don't think so. Oh, man, what if that is the next plane of existence? Everybody's just a dick. Oh, well, if you are a dick, then you probably think you're enlightened, so. Huh. Well, a lot to think about. (laughs) The woman on the stage says, Today we bear witness to three who do not believe. And everyone turns around to look at Mulder, Scully, and the sheriff. Wow, yeah. That's because Odin looked at him. It's true. He opened up his eyes long enough, and he turns... And while he's typing, he's just staring daggers right at them. Yes, he's still typing. She continues, We encourage them to open their hearts and minds to our teachings that they who slaughter the flesh slaughter their own souls and must be taught the way. Which, honestly, for church sayings, it seems like, all right, these people can, you know, they're not on the way, but we can teach them. Seems more accepting than some things that I've heard in church. Okay, guess that's true. And also, I do like the idea of teaching someone the way, because I remember when I had to go to church, it was often, if you, if, you don't, if you don't believe or you don't accept this, don't ask any questions, you don't believe or accept this on face value, you're damned and going to hell. Hmm. 
that's not teaching. That's memorization and just blind acceptance. So one of the cool things about Judaism is like they're encouraged to ask weird questions. I love that for them. Yeah. So it's that's what happens at the Church of the Red Museum. Apparently I'm on board with this situation here. Clearly. It's a cult and they're vegan. Right? No bears are harmed. No bears. I didn't see any weird sex stuff. Yeah. The weird sex stuff guy, not part of this church. Not part of the church. So that's pretty great. I don't think anything else really happens here. No. Okay. So then we go to Beth Kane's house. Gary and Beth are sitting down. Gary was the kid from the beginning who was stripped naked and written on. The sheriff is there, and so is Mulder and Scully. So every, everybody's there, just situated. Gary is not hysterical, I would like to say. He's strong of will. I see. Unlike those other people. Yeah, he said so he's already doing better than the others we've been told about. <laughs> he said he felt a spirit, potentially animal, entering his body while he was in the woods. Which sounds like being high. Yeah. It sounds like he's doing peyote. Right. Right. It sounds like being high in the woods. All right. And if he had been hysterical, then this would take a whole different turn. But he seems he seems shaken because he obviously didn't take himself to the woods to then do drugs to then feel this spirit. But, like, if he had, I feel it seems like he'd be okay with it. It's just like, I don't... The spirit part's not the part I'm concerned about. It's the how did I get out there and drugged part. Mm-hmm. Which is fair. That is fair. We're going to later find out I don't like Gary, though. Oh, why? Because he plays football. Well, I do say something about football here in a minute, but <laughs> I have I have an actual reason in a bit. Scully, meanwhile, wanders off while Gary is giving his statement, which seems strange. Yeah, it could be she just trusts Mulder to get the statement, and she was using that as a distraction to go look around and possibly find something. Yeah. I don't know. I never made it into the FBI, so I don't uh, don't know if that's a tactic they use. Yeah, me neither. Well, she's wandering around looking at pictures on the wall. Uh, we see a picture of a father who we have not seen IRL, and we soon find out why. Actually, it's not very soon, but I noticed that. If you hear a thump in a moment, Moses is planning on attacking a Sam through the window, so everybody's still going to be okay. While she's wandering around, she finds the younger brother. She's speaking to him. The kid's no help because he doesn't know anything, but he didn't know anything, so right. I don't know how he'd be any help. He walks up and she goes, who are you? <laughs> yeah, you had a problem And he should have said, this is my house. Who are you? Right, that would have been really funny. As she's talking to him, we see an eyeball in the wall. Yeah. Which is very much... Through the mirror. Black Christmas vibes. Oh. The original one. Yeah. With all the eyeballs. It's, only, it's been a while yeah. since I've seen that. Well, there's a lot of eyeballs looking through walls there. You can give me psycho vibes. Oh, um, that's a good one too, yeah. 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 You know, gross men doing gross things. Yep. Those vibes carried through. We do see the guy in this scene. Yeah. We see Dollar Tree Joe Namath. That's it. And at this point, also, I was still ignoring him. <laughs> wow. I don't know what I was doing. I guess that was part of the, maybe that was part of the convoluted timeline where I just decided he, he didn't matter to me, so I wasn't going to pay attention. <laughs> a man living in her walls is no big deal. I don't know why. I think it's so scary. Maybe my, I just was, I was protecting myself. Ah, all right. <laughs> but that's what happens. And he doesn't come up again for a little while, but we know that he's in this house playing Peeping Tom. It's terrible. So then they all leave. 
And the sheriff is telling Mulder about Gary as they're leaving the house. Gary was just a regular guy, super into football, somewhat into beer, you know, just a regular 16-year-old. Hoorah. Yeah. But now the damn kid won't even suit up. <laughs> He's so traumatized by what happened two days ago. Right. <laughs> just just recently. Just I'm not sure what the timeline is, but yes, one to two days ago. So I heard, it sounds like Gary was hyper-masculine, and now he's just a person. So he kind of sucks. Or at least, you know, leaning towards those ways. And we'll get into the hyper-masculine thing and why I don't like Gary here in a bit. Okay. Because this story just keeps taking turns. Mulder requests a motel and a place to eat, saying that he and Scully want to run background on the church and Odin. And the sheriff says, I know just the place. You know, since they're in beef country. Yeah. So he sends them to the beefiest beef place in all of Beefington. Clay's Barbecue. That's right. This establishing shot is fantastic because it pans from a plate of ribs up a bib that's covered in sauce. And what I was expecting to be just some cheesehead dude <laughs> was Dana Scully. <laughs> With sauce on her face. With very strategically placed sauce on her face. But still, it was funny, and I enjoyed the shot. You did. You laughed about it. So there's a little bit of trivia here. The scene in which Mulder wipes up Scully's lip when they are having dinner was improvised by David Duchovny when he saw Jillian Anderson had stained herself. They kept it, nurturing even more the usual unresolved sexual tension between them. Yeah, that's what it looked like. (laughs) They just seemed like they cared about each other. Yeah, It's just like... He's got the hots for her sister, so... Oh, yeah, that's right. I wonder if that'll ever become a thing. Probably not, if... Oh, my God, fans would hate that. Yeah, 20 years later, people are still shipping Fox and Dana. You can't do that if he's... (laughs) Dating her sister. If he's got it in with your sister. Right. You, what a gross thing to say. That was awesome. Way to go. (laughs) High five. No! Yeah! No, I'm ashamed of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! Hypermasculinity for the win. No, I don't like it. Everybody's losing. <laughs> <laughs> so Scully asks about walk-ins again, which is great because we need some more. And it turns out it's a kind of new age religion based on an old idea, which is pretty much what all new age is. Eh, I think they're making up the fact that they are old ideas. Okay. That's just my opinion. It's something about if you lose hope or despair and want to leave this mortal coil, you become open and vulnerable. That's true. Okay. (laughs) A new enlightened spirit, according to... I don't know how I cut this. Okay. Well, according to the literature, Abe Lincoln was a walk-in, and Mikhail Gorbachev, and Charles Coulson, who was Nixon's advisor. And Scully says, not Nixon, and Mulder says, they didn't want him either. (laughs) Nobody wants to claim Nixon. Nope. I can't remember if Nixon had died by 94. It was right in there in the mid-90s somewhere. I'm pretty sure. I do not know, and I'm not looking it up. Just then, a truck full of teenagers pull up to harass a Red Museum person. I don't know if they... Did they call them anything else? Yeah, they call them a lot of things. Oh, I'm, I mean, the teenagers do. <laughs> I wrote, it's just as garbage as you think. Yeah. Because I didn't write down and will not repeat the things that they said. It was trash. Shocking turn of events in this scene. The sheriff's son is a dickhead? That's that's it. That's the one. Wow. Yep. Who would ever know that someone raised by a cop 
would be a garbage individual. That was the twist. We could never have known. <sighs> Rick is the son of the sheriff, and Rick's girlfriend, Katie, goes home. Rick takes her home. They make out for about seven and a half minutes. <laughs> seven and a half minutes in heaven. Oh, God. And we have to watch all of it. It was too much for me. I think you're pretty prudish if you don't like watching teenagers make out. Ugh. I'm not that guy in the wall. Obviously. <laughs> yes. Obviously people make out when you want to, when both of you want to, but I don't I don't want to watch it. In the dark. <laughs> They're just in the dark. So you want to watch it in the light? No. I don't want any of it. <laughs> I want to move on. Okay. Uh, Rick drives away, and as Katie is walking toward her house, she notices her dog whimpering. It's over by the garbage cans tied up. Which she doesn't find strange. She's just like, hey, bub, pupper dog. dog. And she goes over there and is rubbing his face and he's whining. But she doesn't look like she's about to undo him. She just is like, oh, the dog's out with the trash? Well, then she gets kidnapped. Uh, The next time we see her, she's hallucinating in the woods and it is daylight. So it is the next day. Uh She's wearing only her underwear and it does seem very terrifying. She's hallucinating and we get to see some of her hallucinations the crows in the trees are coming down and flying into her face and cawing she falls on the ground and her hands seem to be going into the earth there's cockroaches it seems awful it's like a very bad trip it's not a good one no and then on her back as she falls to the ground we see she is one on her back and marker at the motor lodge registration which is where apparently Mulder and Scully have to go stay because they stay in some of the classiest places. We don't see anything, really, at this place. We don't really spend any time here. No, but we can rest assured that Fox Mulder is not sleeping in a bed. Yes! (laughs) He's on the phone writing something down. He's sitting on the bed in this scene, but we never see him or hear of him sleeping in a bed. Uh, He and Scully are talking. They're talking about the uh, the latest victim and what they found. There's not much they can do until the toxicology report comes back, but they did find trace amounts of an unspecified alkaloid substance in her blood, possibly an opiate derivative, as well as dangerously large quantities of something called scopolamine, which is a motion sickness medicine, like... Dramamine? Dramamine, yes. They find out that Richard Odin, Odin from the church, is also known as Doug Herman, and he left the AMA, American Medical Medical Association, Association, in 1986 over questionable ethics. He did not renew his license. So that's how they are connecting these things. Yeah, he used to be a doctor. You have to be a doctor to get a hold of this stuff. Right. Now, if you're going to change your name to a new cult leader guy and go by Odin, are you going Richard as a first name? I'm not. That doesn't make much sense to me at all. Thor. Thor Odinson. I met a guy named Thor once. I did too. He was the nicest guy. Yeah. Was he old dude? Nope. Oh, okay. Then, then there's more than one around here. Yep. Uh, it wasn't here when my sister and Riley and I went down to Key West a few years ago. We stayed in this little hostel situation. It wasn't a hostel situation. It was a hostel slash motel situation. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what you were talking about. As I said it, I was like, that sounds aggressive. Uh, And there was a little outdoor kitchen, and we ran into him over there while we were making tea or something. And he was just the happiest 20-something, 
just thrilled with life. Thrilled to be there. Thrilled to be named Thor. Just <laughs> all of it. So how do you know he was thrilled to be named Thor? He just seemed like he was. He was like, my name was Thor. And he was so happy. And I was like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> just this... Don't worry, guys. This was back before the COVID, so we weren't. We haven't been traveling any in the times of COVID. There's been no traveling in the COVID times. But yeah, I think about that every now and then. Just joyful. So now they're going over to Richard Odin's house. When they pull up, Mulder knocks on the door. A woman, the woman that was reading the words on stage, opens the door. He shows his badge. They ask for Odin. They ask to come inside. Odin says, nope. Which I was like, good job. You don't have to let people inside your house. Right. Always say no when they ask to come inside. And when Mulder presses him, oh, we can get a warrant. And Odin was like, fine. Yeah, do that. And then it was interesting because he said, you can get a warrant, but you're still not coming in. And then he pulled the, because the church is a protected situation, religion is protected by the U.S. government. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, some people are going to like this. <laughs> Not when it applies to everybody, if they're actually registered as a church. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what paperwork you need to do all of that. I don't either. I'm a ordained minister. I wonder if I could tell the cops, no, this is a religiously protected townhouse. I mean, you could tell them that. I don't know if it would <laughs> do anything. Well, let's find out. <laughs> okay. Let's not. Let's not have the cops come here. Ugh. And then Odin says that they can't come in, quote, because you're meat eaters. The building that houses our kitchens cannot be desecrated by your presence. I believe I'm well within my religious rights to prevent it. And so then they arrest Odin for some reason connected to the Scopolamine. They actually charge him for a thing that they don't really know that he did. Mm-hmm. Good job on that one. I was actually surprised when Mulder asked him to step outside so they could arrest him because I was like, what, did I miss a whole thing like the man in the wall? Did I just black out a thing? <laughs> No, but he's weird, and he used to be a doctor. So he's guilty. Yeah. Of something. Probably. Yeah. And he's a cult leader. I mean, but so, there's no weird sex stuff, so is it is it that bad? I, we don't see any weird sex stuff. That's true. It is prime time. I don't even know what that means, actually, anymore. What does prime time mean? Is I that a thing it anymore? It used to be 8 to 10 was prime time. That's when all your good shows would be on. But now, I don't know if it exists. <laughs> Sweeps week. Is Sweeps Week a thing? I don't know. I don't know why it would be. No. Huh. Well, we're just confused over here. So we'll go to the Graham County Sheriff Station. That's where Odin is sitting at the desk in the interrogation room. Scully is sitting across from him. Mulder and Mazeroski are standing. There's some stuff that goes on in here that apparently I didn't write anything about because I thought it happened later. But I guess this is where they... Sorry for my notes, guys. Okay, so this is where they're questioning him. He says he doesn't know what they're talking about, basically. And Scully leaves the room in here. Do you remember anything pertinent that happens? She has a... No, this isn't the scene where she gets up and leaves. That's right, because that's Gerd. Yeah, that's later. This is just a, a red herring. He's just saying, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then at Clay's Barbecue, the Red Museum people surround it and are not letting anybody in mm. and all and Mulder and Scully and the cop go out that's right to check out what's happening there and I'm like I wrote down ooh this is a good distraction to break that dude out yeah which isn't what happened no or 
Could be. They never showed it. Nope, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Oh, until, you're right, I'm glad you said that because I forgot, I don't know why, I think I was just watching the scene. I must have just been watching the scene. Because then the sheriff's son pulls up in his truck with his buddies and brings a bucket of blood and throws it on the vegan cult leaders, yeah. or the vegan cultists. And then the sheriff is all mad and grabs him and says, get out of here, get out of here. That was aggravated assault. You should leave. Right, right. We're going to get to the no consequences in just a moment. <laughs> so that happens. There's no resolution. Nobody gets in trouble. It seems pretty awful, but also kind of like mildly awful compared to some of the other stuff that's been going on. Yeah. Uh, they So they go to the, the cattle farm. Oh. Okay, go ahead. While they're watching the protesters, some random strange old dude motions over to Scully like, Hey, come here. Hey. Yes. Hey, come here. Thank you. I'm glad you're filling us in. And she walks over there by herself at first. And I'm like, no, Scully, don't do... What do you... Like, tap him on the arm and say, Hey, this guy wants our attention. Don't just walk over there. She's an FBI. Yeah. Is her gun in the motor lodge still? Yes. She where she likes to keep it on the nightstand, so that it can out of reach. It's still sleeping. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then he takes him out to the out to the cattle farm. Out to the cattle farm that his his granddaddy bought in 1890. Yes. So yes, he is known as Old Man. He so died when, right over there. Yeah, it was. And then my daddy died, and then I'm gonna die someday. <laughs> right. And these guys are injecting cows. All right. So the old man tells a story about capitalism ruining his family business and turning him a pretty penny. That's how I summarized his story. He did make a bunch of money. He made a ton of money. And now he seems to have regrets that he doesn't own his family farm. But also because the times have changed, he really didn't have any other any other Options. choice. Yeah. yeah. Blah, Which, blah, blah. I don't know. I find that sad. I, I find it blah, blah, blah. This guy would rather uh, be working the farm than be rich. I don't think he actually would. I think he's just saying that. Well, growing up in farmland in Indiana, I get the sentiment. I've seen where you grew up. Farmland. No. <laughs> as far as the eye can see. When I was your age, this was nothing but cornfields. It wasn't, though. It was a little neighborhood. <laughs> It's still a little neighborhood. It'll be a little neighborhood in 20 years. <laughs> um, so after the story, he points out two dudes who are shooting up a cattle. A, a cattle. Shooting up cattle with BST. BTS. 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 <laughs> I was like, did I write that BTS. wrong? BTS. <laughs> no. With a bovine. Oh, my gosh. Somototrophin. So there's whatever. He says that it, pr it helps the, the cows produce 10% more milk and meat. Yeah. And, and how is that, like, cost-effective? The hormones got to cost way more than 10% more milk. And I'm pretty sure that milk cows and beef cattle are different. Yeah, he meant, he said that they were different. Okay. <laughs> so this is where I wrote, Old man yells at clouds about hormones <laughs> and <the> meat. <laughs> Being why he sold out his family farm. And, oh, yeah, seven rapes happened in last year in this town by high school boys so the town has gotten more aggressive but there's been no consequences again my naivete but you figure they know who the rapists are mm-hmm they probably went to jail i said wait so was gary the former footballer 
one of the rapists. I mean, they get credit for nothing that happens off camera. So he is one. Okay, but so was she. Well, maybe she's a rapist. Doubtful. Probably not. Her boyfriend, though, absolutely. He seems like the type. I think he might have been. Because I don't think... So they said seven rapes last year. They didn't say anything happened. And we know the stats on rapes. Yeah, but... And if there were seven reported rapes, you know how many rapes there actually were? That's what I was thinking. Because <sighs> basically along those lines, that's what I was thinking. We had seven rapes last year. That means there were seven rapes that didn't get covered up. Right. So, I'm thinking there were consequences for those seven. I doubt it. Well, don't worry, guys. We're going to pick up the conversation right here because now there's a plane. What? <laughs> and it crashes and it explodes. <laughs> the pilot's just like, first of all, what is happening? <laughs> I don't know. Because suddenly there's a plane. I was looking at the screen and I was like, what did we change this in the middle? Thought it glitched out right. and started playing something else. And the pilot's just like, ah, oh, I'm losing oil pressure here. Doc, ah, I gotta put it down somewhere. And then he aims right for the trees. They're in cattle country. And he aims for the trees. Right. And then, of course, it explodes. And we are very confused. It explodes like it ha- it was carrying bombs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, okay, I guess we're watching a bomb movie now. (laughs) Just wild. It was crazy. So then we go to the crash site the next morning. We see firemen, deputies, sheriffs, a bunch of people out surveying the wreckage. They're all chattering, doing whatever. Two men wrap up the bodies as Mulder Scully and Mazarowski walk over. They have not identified the pilot, but they did identify the passenger as a Dr. Gerald Larson who was treating all of the kids. He had a briefcase that was full of cash. They found papers that looked like credit card numbers. Yeah, like a list of credit card numbers that were associated with the children he was treating. So, surprise. They go back to, Mulder and Scully go back to the motor lodge, and there's exposition between Scully and Mulder about Dr. Larson, basically telling us that how Scully found out that Dr. Larson was connected with all of the kids, including the two that were not in the town who had originally had the uh, he is one, she is one written on their bodies and had to be sedated. So Dr. Larson is connected to all of the teenagers who have been abducted and found. Mulder comes in and he's like, oh, I have no questions about how you know this. (laughs) But now we both know. Well, he trusts her sources. And so do, does the audience. So yeah. that's that's where we're at. We go back to the cattle farm. We see some congregants of the Red Museum walk through the pasture. And the man who was handed the needle before opens the gate. Oh, the cow. The cattle needle. Yeah. There's, so there's two guys who keep shooting up all these cattle who are not Red Museum folks. And then we have a couple of other people who are. And this is where I said, it appears the Red Museum may be a red herring. (laughs) Yeah, you said that out loud. And that's all we see here, because Mulder and Scully are not here. I don't know if I made that clear. They're still back at the motor lodge. The crew cut man, remember the crew cut man, drives up to the flannel shirt guy and shoots him in the face. After he and Gerd pass each other. Yes. So he just lets Gerd off the hook. For now, yeah. And that was a huge mistake. It really was. Gerd... 
What a name. What a name. Isn't that also like a disease? I think so. Me I think too. it's a thing that gas is like a gastrointestinal thing that makes you spit up. Oh, that sounds awful. They go to Beth Kane's house, they being Mulder and Scully, and Beth is taking out the garbage when they pull up. We learn that Gary was only seeing Dr. Larson. He was never sick, and he was receiving vitamin shots. A lot of the kids were. Yeah. Sure. Why not? I don't know. I would love to be like, who does that? But if everybody in town is doing it, and there's no internet... And the doctor's like, yeah, it's just vitamin shots. And look, your kid's not being sick. I can see how <laughs> Yeah. I can see how easy it would be to just be like, yeah, you know. He's just... never been sick once? Right. You're doing great, doc. Right. All right. The vitamin shots are working. We learned that Gary's father was awful. And he died by a combo of toxic masculinity and karma. No, he died from being 6'5 in a meatpacking plant. That's too tall. Is very tall. It's too tall to be around all those saws. The reason that he was awful is he was like, my son needs to be football. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary wasn't tall football. enough. <laughs> Gary wasn't football yet. So Gary's dad was like, football, football, different doctor, football. And then he went to the meatpacking plant and there was an accident. And then he went to the meatpacking plant too tall. <laughs> yes. Also... Mulder spots a light and punches the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see what he hit the mirror. He wraps his hand in a tea towel type thing okay. and punches the mirror. And what he finds is someone's private little movie studio. Oh, it's so bad. And it's I don't think so he handled bad. it well. No, it's shocking. I Right. Because I'm putting myself in a situation where I find this in this lady's bathroom. I don't go, holy crap, look at this video camera and all these videotapes in your bathroom. There were so many VHS tapes in there. I don't know if that lady needs to know this right now. Right. Her son was just abducted. Yeah. I think you can put a stop to this situation and then maybe later tell her. Or what I was really thinking in the moment is, hey, Scully, take a look at this. Does this lady need to know this right now? <laughs> you tell me. Beth handles it. Too well. Very well. She looks in the hole and Mulder is punched in her mirror <laughs> into someone's little private little movie studio. Sees one million VHS tapes with handwritten labels and says, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. At another location in Delta Glen, we see Rick and his friend drinking. They're getting drunk in that truck, that pickup truck that Rick keeps driving around. Rick, for everybody, is the sheriff's son. I'm letting you guys know because I didn't recognize him. Oh, really? I just was like, two dudes. (laughs) I didn't like this kid, so apparently blocked him out. He looks just like uh, Hank's friend in the Venture Brothers. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I think that that character might have been modeled off of this kid. Oh, wow. So they're drinking in the truck. The one friend says he has to go pee, so he goes off to pee. And while he's out in the woods, Rick gets chloroformed or something and is disappeared. The next day, they find Rick's body. He's lying on his stomach, not moving. He's in his, he's stripped to his underwear and he has, he is one written on his back, just like the others. But unlike the others, he is. Shot in the forehead. Oh, 
okay, I was going to do a different reveal, but yes. Go ahead and do that. He is, he is shot in the forehead. Uh, do your reveal. It's fine. Is it funny? N- no. Okay. It was just, whatever. It's fine. Okay. As the the sheriff turns his son over and that's how we, that's how we know, which would suck, you know. That would suck. It'd suck. The crew cut man is elsewhere, walking out of the woods, walks to the tidiest trunk I have ever seen, and puts his loose weapon in the back. <laughs> must be a rental car. Yeah, it must be. But he just puts his handgun. In the trunk? In, in the, the empty trunk. trunk? Yep, just loose. It's just sliding around back there. Oh, it's weird. And then Mulder and Scully are driving down a road around the same time, and Scully is looking at a folder with a picture of Thomas. Thomas is Gerd Thomas, and the reason that she's looking at this is because Gerd Thomas owned the building that Gary and Beth live in with the private movie studio. So they're they're trying they're trying to follow the threads. Good for them. They're doing some police work. Turns out Gerd Thomas used to own a used to run a daycare center out of that location, and he's been picked up by the local cops. So that's horrifying. Yeah. They do these scenes pretty well. While Scully and Mulder are driving to the precinct to talk to Gerd Thomas, giving us this bit of detail, we see the crew cut man driving down the road past them. Scully sees him and recognizes him for who he is. She recognizes him, but just like me, didn't know how she Ah, uh, she couldn't place him. him just yet. She she does notice him, though. So then we go to the Graham County Sheriff's Station. An officer sits Thomas down in a chair and leaves. He's like, I don't want anything to do with this. Mulder closes the door. Scully sits down. And then Gerd just confesses. To everything. So he confesses. He admits to the recording. He also admits to kidnapping the kids. But then when he finds out that one of them was murdered, he's like, oh, no, no, no. I didn't do that. And they ask, did you write on them? And he was like, oh, yeah, no, I did that. I kidnapped them. I drugged them. I wrote on them. I stripped them naked. And um, and I was recording that lady in her house for years. But I didn't murder anybody. It's like, oh, yikes. He did it all because of what they became. Because of Dr. Larson's tests. So now we're looping it back to the guy in the plane. So we've got this pedophile slash creep. Because he was creeping on the mom, but yeah. I have a feeling he was he was also creeping on the kids. Yeah. Just, I think Mulder says little boys. Yeah. He says that Dr. Larson was using the kids as guinea pigs, and he was using us too. Mulder asks for clarification on that, and Gerd Thomas says that they were inoculating the cattle. With Mulder asks about a growth hormone. Gerd says he doesn't know exactly what it was, but they were being paid a lot of money to do it. So each time we saw those guys shooting up the cattle, it wasn't apparently the BST bovine hormone thing. It was something else. Mulder says, you're saying that Dr. Larson was paying you a lot of money to inject the cattle with something and you don't know what it was. And Gerd Thomas says he didn't know what it was. Not until later. Not until after those rapes. So I... Doubled down and said I was right, Gary was a rapist. Cool. But you don't think he was a rapist? I don't see why we would think that. Everybody in this town seems really upset by the rapes. More than most small towns would be. Right. You figure most small towns are just covering all that shit up, but everybody here is really upset by it. Hmm. Like, you should be. Right, yes. I want to clarify that because maybe my tone didn't come across. (laughs) (laughs) As, like, everybody's so upset by all these rapes. No, they, everybody in this town has the proper reaction. 
So I'm going to be optimistic and say, yeah, yeah they, they have the correct reaction. All right. I'll let Gary off the hook, but I don't think the town has done the right things. Historically speaking. Right. Yeah. I mean. Okay. But this is also a town where alien DNA is getting injected. So maybe anything they, can happen. So maybe they did do the right thing. <laughs> anything can happen here in this world. Well, Dr. Larson told somebody, told Gerd Thomas's boss, that he felt responsible for everything that those kids had done and that he was giving them the same inoculations. Uh, Mulder asks if Dr. Larson was involved in the kidnapping. Gerd clarifies, no, 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 he didn't want his secret to come out. He didn't care about those kids like me. Yeah, I care about the kids. Scully left at some point during this conversation, remembering the crew cut man, and she comes back in and drags Mulder out of the interrogation room, tells him that she thinks it's purity control, which is the alien DNA they found in the Erlenmeyer flask. Mulder doesn't want to believe it at first, but then he does. (laughs) <laughs> i can see that you're shocked so you're like what huh no what huh wow okay <laughs> <laughs> but yes purity control so the kids have been test subjects so have the cattle seems like to get the purity control into the meat yeah that's why everybody in the town's a jerk and there's a lot of money in it for somebody <laughs> <laughs> step one Inject alien DNA <laughs> into the cattle. Yes. Step two. Step three, profit. Yes. Scully realizes that the cover has been blown and whoever is in charge knows it, which is why Crew Cut Man is here to murder people. So off they go. Mulder wants him alive. Bum, bum, bum. How well do you think that's going to go? I'm hopeful. Okay. I, I think we can do it. You know? I think we can get him. Yeah. I bet he talks too. Probably. The cigarette smoking organization will not be thrilled about it, but... But they'll understand. They'll understand. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Before they go get them, they go by Beth Kane's house. Mulder uh, knocks on the door and tells Beth to come with them. He wants to round up all of the kids, and he directs the rest of the sheriff's department to round up any of the kids whose names were found in those papers that they found on the plane. That's what happens. It's a good old-fashioned roundup. It is. Then they go to Odin's house. Mulder tells him he needs his help. Odin's kind of like, hmm, which is fair after they arrested him for no reason. (laughs) Right. And Mulder says it may offend your religious sensibilities, but it could help save some kids' lives. It's unnecessary, but true. Which is just like, Mulder. You're asking for help. Be nice. Stop stop being a dick. (laughs) Did you eat that meat? Oh, no, he did. (laughs) They went to Clay's Barbecue. Oh, my goodness. Wow, all right. Well, at the Church of the Red Museum, we see that even though the townsfolk have been trashed to them, the church folk still want to help when needed. So they are letting all of the townsfolk's kids come into their barn, chapel, whatever you call it. Not the kitchen. It is in the kitchen. But they can go to the barn. Which is fine. Yeah. I think it's super fair. Yeah. Which is better than what a lot of churches do. It's helping and keeping in their religious practices. Yeah. Good job. You know what? Great. Oh, (laughs) so this is where Scully shows up. I guess they had split up at some point to round up the kids, probably. She and Mulder. That would make sense. Scully asks the sheriff where Mulder is, and he has run off on his own without telling his partner again and i said honestly it's about time 
because it's been a whole episode with a lot of scenes and he hasn't run off yet. <laughs> I wrote down Mulder runs off without his partner. Take a shot. <laughs> Mulder runs off to the JASD beef plant where he finds a place covered in gasoline. He sees the crew cut man finishing up the job, pouring more gas around. They have a kerfuffle. Mulder loses. Gets locked in the freezer or whatever. Yeah, it seems like trying to burn this place down isn't going to do the job that he's trying to do, though. It doesn't because... Like, a lot of the walls are metal. And the place is wet. Yeah. It's just a lot of wet. (laughs) It does seem like he should have gotten one of those planes and flown it into it. Because that plane blew up. Yeah. I was thinking drone strike, but yeah. That would work. And he definitely needs explosives. Yes. Because just a fire is probably not going to spread through there. Mm-mm. So we don't know what he's, his end goal is here. I think we know what his goal is. It's just not achievable the way he's doing that's, it. Okay, that's it. Okay, so Mulder gets locked in the freezer by the crew cut man. Scully et al. arrive. They hold the crew cut man at gunpoint. Scully's trying to... Talk him down. Yeah. Drop the lighter. Come with us. We're going to question you. The sheriff shoots him to death. Mulder distracts everybody. Somehow, everybody. <laughs> except the sheriff. So Crew Cut Man thinks it's time to go for the lighter to try to light everything on fire. Oh, is that what happened? I thought the sheriff was just like, you murdered my son, I'm going to shoot you 11 times. He might have been going there with that intent, but he got the excuse he needed. I see. Yes. We both agree that this is the one cop murder in all of cop murder history that is understandable. <laughs> As, yeah. And I'm glad Mulder didn't come out and be, like, screamy about it. Oh my gosh, me too. Especially after he let Krychek off the hook for shooting Tony Todd. Right? Which was I'm still upset about. Me too. Thanks for bringing it up. You're welcome. <laughs> and now we are at the end because, you know, the bad guy is dead. We go to the Church of the Red Museum. We see the, all of the children in town standing together as Scully continues or begins to speak. And we get a whole voiceover at the end because they're like, ah, how do we finish this episode? <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Oh, no. So she says, file number, and she says the number. The identity of the man shot in the slaughterhouse has yet to be determined, which is why we have we have and will forever know him as Crew Cut Man. R.I.P. to a fake one. His name, any record or artifact of his past, present, or immigration status has yet to be found. His fingerprints are not on file in either the FBI or National System of Records. At this time, it remains doubtful that anyone will come forward to ID or claim the body. Right. Cigarette smoking man's not going to bother coming to Wisconsin. Especially if all the records are gone. You don't need to disappear his body. Nope. Scully continues... Under further analysis, the inoculant found in the broken vials was isolated and determined to be an unstable antibody of no known biological origin. Do you think it's that silicone-based creature from the last episode? (laughs) No, I think it's purity control. (laughs) Or a variation thereof. After three weeks of study, the components of the serum, probably synthetic, have broken down structurally and, in this retrograde state, cannot be analyzed further. Oh. What a nice, clean way to... So it's not the actual alien DNA, it's a derivative of the alien DNA. Yeah. Because what they were given to the guy in Little Green Men? Or that one episode. Oh, Erlenmeyer Flask, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Erlenmeyer Flask. They were, I think they were, those guys were getting injected with straight alien DNA. Yes. And they were invulnerable? Something like that, yeah. But some of them couldn't move? But they were breathing underwater also? Yeah. Yeah. Very confusing so this is a synthetic version 
apparently. It coincides with the development of a severe and undiagnosed flu-like ailment affecting the children who were believed to be inoculated and some of the local families. So that's where we see the consequences, basically, of the... Not getting their vitamins. Right. So everybody's going through withdrawal, and the local families are going through withdrawal because they've been eating the meat. And Clay's Barbecue's shut down. Can't believe they shut down Clay's Barbecue. <laughs> Poor Clay. How's he going to feed his family? Not with alien DNA cows. He's not. He's going to have to join the church and... Regulations are strangling middle America. <laughs> to date, none of the congregants or members of the Church of the Red Museum have contracted the illness, which, again, reinforces that it was in the meat. It's in the beef. The shipping manifests for what is believed to be milk and beef tainted by the unspecified inoculant do not provide enough information to track their destinations. That's a terrible tracking system. It really is. I mean, I guess in 94, I don't know what tracking systems were like. Uh, I was not working for the company I currently work for, so I can't tell you. Yeah. A local advisory and quarantine have been established, but you know that stuff's gone further than local. One would think. Further inquiry into the tainted beef has been promised by the pertinent government health agencies, which means nothing's going to happen. <laughs> like, which pertinent agencies is that? Uh, and finally, the FBI investigation into this case is currently at a standstill. The case it remains open and unsolved. <gasps> Glenn Morgan was not happy about how the crew cut man was killed off in this episode, really? saying, quote, My feeling is that to bring this guy back, his presence should have been better developed. And he shot off screen. I thought, geez, this is the guy who killed Deep Throat, who the audience loved. And it's kind of tossed away. The audience loved this guy? Deep Throat. Oh, gotcha. Unquote. I like it because it shows how disposable all these people are. I do too, actually, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Of course he's disposable. Yeah. I have a feeling that whoever cigarette smoking man's bosses are, because in the one episode when Mulder's yelling in his face, he says, I've got a little bit of power. He doesn't say, I'm all powerful. Right. He says, I've got a little bit of power. Yeah. He knows his place in yeah. his hierarchy of powerful people. So I, I, have a, I get the feeling that even he is disposable. Yes. You get to a high enough level of information, and some if somebody finds out high enough up, they'll take you out. Oh, I just mean, like, not dangerous. Like, that, what you're describing is dangerous enough that you might need to be taken out. I'm talking about disposable as in if you're taken out. The people above you just don't really care. Man. Whoever's at the top of the cigarette smoking organization, that's who I want to know. Wanna Me know too. They are. Is it aliens? Is it Mulder? Ooh. <laughs> He's just, it's all been a red herring the whole time. deep, deep cover. Mm-hmm. All right, who are you shipping? I am shipping me and Clay's ribs. They are the best in five states. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That, that sounds delicious, and Dana Scully seemed to enjoy them. Yes, she did. Well, while you're there, I'm going to go visit the church of the Red Museum. Are you shipping you and being in a cult? Yep. <laughs> a, a vegan cult with yeah. no weird sex. Okay. Uh, how are you going to survive? By being over at, with the cult oh. and petting the cows and feeding them citrus and stuff rather than eating them. I see. It seems like the safest. I see. How are you surviving? I already don't eat much beef, so I think it's okay. I think I'm okay. All right. 
Good job, us. Yeah, we did it. Uh, but the X-Files did not. This was unsolved. <laughs> <laughs> They're not as good as us. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. That's it for this week. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by at Uka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 